Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I am your host. And at the beginning of the show, I'd like to thank my newest patrons. Unfortunately, this week, nobody signed up. So instead, I want to give a shout out to my second longest ever patron. Uh, last week, I gave a shout out to my longest supporter. So this is my second longest supporter. We got Paul D., he has been a member since March 30th, 2019, which is 19 months, I believe. So shout out to Paul D. Appreciate it so much. Thank you for supporting the show for a really long time. It means a lot. If you would like to support the show and help it to continue to grow, I made it easy for you. Just head over to bikesordeath.com and you'll see options to sign up as a patron, which is a monthly donation. It's a sustaining member, anywhere from like a dollar to $10. It really, like whatever. I've said this before, but if everybody that listens to this podcast donated a dollar a month, I could pretty much retire from my other job. I think. So it like it really counts. And also on Patreon, whenever I get to $500 a month, I'm going to start a separate podcast called Shifting Gears that's going to be a patron only podcast as a way to say thank you. So when we get to 500, I'm going to launch that and we're at like 425 right now. So get in close. Also, uh, you can leave a one-time donation through PayPal. You don't have to have a PayPal account to use it. But if you think a particular episode is good or you just got a bonus at work, you got a little extra cash, whatever. Uh, if you want to just send a one-time donation, it's always appreciated. You can do that on PayPal. And then we just got in some sweet stuff for the web store. So check that out. Not just shirts and stickers and patches anymore. I actually am now carrying Walmart bars, which are those wide drop bars that you're seeing everybody try. Uh, I know there's lots of different kinds out there. I just got my hands on these Walmers and I have the 50s on my Chumba and the 55s on my Fargo. And I love these bars so far. They've been super comfortable. It gives you so many hand positions. And I think maybe it's because I have longer arms. I'm six foot two, so I'm a little bit taller that having a little bit wider reach is just a more natural position. I have to ask someone with shorter arms how they like it. But if you're interested to check those out, I got them on my web store along with K-Lite packages. So y'all know probably that I've been running K-Lite since the very beginning. I've had mine for three or four years now with the same Sawn uh, 28 Dynamo Hub. And uh, it's just bulletproof, works really, really well. So I wanted y'all to be able to get those as well. So uh, yeah, trying something different on the web store. But hey, if you just want to grab a shirt or a sticker, whatever, it is very appreciated. Every little bit helps. So I'm just a little podcaster over here, trying my best to grow this thing. What I've been doing since the beginning is I just take you know the money that I make on Patreon uh, and from donations and stuff. And I invest it in some merchandise and equipment and all that stuff. So just a little old business trying to grow. So all of your donations really do help a ton. It goes directly into making the podcast better. In fact, maybe this is a good time to mention that I have a new website that's going to be rolling out here in the next couple of weeks or so. And how the website is getting built is really unique. I've been able to hire people who have in the past reached out to me independently. Catherine, in the very beginning, she donated some artwork to Bikes or Death. And uh, it's that landscape design 
that we use on a lot of our t-shirts. And if you order anything, there's always a postcard with her design in it and a handwritten note. And that was just like super generous. You know, I mean, I've sold shirts off her design and obviously I've given her free stuff to say thank you, but you know, she didn't want anything. She just wanted to uh, help the show and donate in that way. But now that I'm kind of growing a little bit, I was able to hire her to design the new website. So she's a bike packer. She's a fan of the show and she designed the new website and got paid this time. And so on the other side of it, a friend that I met on the internet, her name is Alyssa Bell. She reached out to me and offered to do backend support on the website, technical stuff that I'm not very good at. She does it as a living and just offered to donate her time to kind of help me out in the very beginning. And she's been helping out until recently I've hired her to actually build the website. So I didn't know this, but apparently you need one person designs it, then it has to be built. And that just happened to be in her wheelhouse. So it's just really cool that I've been able to, with your help, you know, take people who are like either donating or donating their time. And I'm able to take those resources and reinvest them and hire the people that donated. It's like a beautiful full circle thing. And on that note, I might as well give a shout out to my audio guy, Ben Crannell. He again reached out to me. He was like, hey, I've got some downtime in COVID. If you need any help editing, I love the show. I might as well edit one that I, uh, I enjoy listening to. So he's come on to kind of help with the workflow. And again, so he started out as just donating time kind of here and there. But he did such a great job that I hired him. So he is now my full-time audio engineer. I'm not sure what his official title is, but he's the guy that goes through and tries to get the volumes and everything sounding good. And all these people are bike packers. You know, all these people are from the community. And I've been able to use your resources, uh, i.e., your money, and reinvest it back into the community. So I wanted to say thank you and let you know that I'm trying to be a good steward of those funds and reinvest them back into the community, into the people. I'm going to be featuring them on the new website as well. So you'll be able to learn a little bit more about them because this really is becoming a team effort. It's becoming a lot of work and I uh, need help. So, all right, well, sorry for the uh, long-winded sales pitch today, but lots going on. I'm excited to share it with y'all. So thank you for indulging me. All right, well, today's show is brought to you by my friends over at Kuat. I've been an ambassador of them for all of 2020 so far and truly really love their product. It is so well built. It looks good. And I'm not kidding. Their customer service is second to none. So I want to thank them for coming on as a sponsor. The socially distanced months of 2020 have uh, prompted us to look elsewhere for exercise, for transportation, and for escape. And Kuat just wants me to share a simple message with you. If you are new to bikes, welcome. And if you're returning, welcome back. We've seen a huge uptick in bike sales, accessory sales. We've seen an uptick in just people riding bikes in general. So Kuat just wants to say thank you. So welcome. It is good to have you here, no matter where you came from or how you got here. Thanks for being on Team Bike. And don't forget Kuat because you love your bike. All right. Well, today's episode is with my friend Eric Bingazer, 
who you may know as True Marmalade on the social medias and the Stravas of the world. He's got a lot of followers. Nobody knows how he got them, but I find out on this episode. We go deep into robots, Pokemon Go, wearing padded shorts versus not wearing padded shorts, uh, and his new Studio Ghibli film that he uh, produced for the Swift Campout this year. You may have seen it. It was featured on bikepacking.com as well. But he, being trapped in quarantine, inserted himself into the Studio Ghibli film, riding his bike on a bikepacking trip. It is beautiful. It damn near brought me to tears. And uh, it was really good to catch up with him. I think we planned on probably talking for like an hour, hour and a half. And uh, we go long just because it was just good to catch up with him. Uh, you'll hear on this episode that he's been really locked down on quarantine because of diabetes and just doesn't want to die. So he's been locked down. And I saw him right before lockdown when we went on a little bikes or death bikepacking trip earlier this year. And uh, then the world locked down. And I haven't seen Eric since. So it's good to catch up. Appreciate him coming on. And that's it. As always, here's Miles Arbor with the Bikes for Death theme song. So let's get to it. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think... Oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Eric Bingazer on the Bikes for Death podcast today, all the way from Austin, Texas, holed up in his little apartment or flat or whatever you're in, uh, hiding from the world, right? Yeah, pretty much. Dude, how you doing? Good. Holding things together. Uh, spending most of the time inside, obviously. Spend a lot of time on the trainer. I've got really into jump and rope. That's been my new uh, lockdown activity. Obviously, last time we met, we knew we were going to do this show and really wished it could have been under different circumstances. But yeah, I don't know. It's just... It rules to see your face and hear your voice coming through my headphones. It feels good. Like you can see me smile. Oh, man. It feels good. Good, good. <laughs> well, it's nice to like uh, touch base with you because yeah. like you said, we, um, I mean, I think it, I wanted to kind of tell a brief history just so people know how we know each other. Yeah. But um, so because it's really crazy. I mean, it's kind of coming full circle with when you and I met. Number one, I was going through a lot and still am kind of continue to go through some personal stuff that you <laughs> got a little bit <laughs> involved bit, with. Yeah. Uh, and then also, man, it was like the last uh, hurrah for a lot of us in the bikepacking yeah. world uh, or no, like in our little bikepacking yeah. uh, community where we uh, got a chance to go and do a trip. And like right after that, like two weeks later, COVID hit. Yeah. So it's just been it's been crazy, but, and then since then you've been holed up and we'll get into this too, probably more so because of your diabetes and your susceptibility to be at an increased risk for COVID. So it's just been nuts, but, um, yeah, 
that's how we met. We met at that first Bikes or Death ride, which was like such a cool event. It was the first one that I ever did, which was a group ride. I didn't know who would come. I didn't know if anyone would show up. It's like you throw a party and you're like, dude, is anybody going to come? And it was like 16 people. It was a great turnout. It was such like, I was thinking about it, man. It was like, it was such a great time before the world went crazy before COVID hit and everything just ramped up to like a thousand, you know, like that was just such a nice, relaxing weekend. Everybody was so chill. <sighs> it was, it was an absolute perfect. Yeah. You phrase it exactly right. Like you doing this thing, unsure who was going to show up. Perfect turnout, good spread of ages and diversity. And, you know, people came from Austin and people came from all over the place. The route was amazing. Great gravel, great camp spot. Amazing support from your local shop, right? Yeah. Made us breakfast the next day, which was like, so choice. Yeah. And totally agree. It was w one last beautiful hurrah before like, oh shit, uh, things are kind of serious now. We need to figure out how we're going to move forwards in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. It was so much fun that I turned around and almost immediately planned another one. And then like a day later, it was so obvious with co like back then it was like hour by hour. It's like, oh, no shit. No, you can't do that. <laughs> but I, it was so much fun. But anyway, that we'll we'll get back to them again, hopefully one day in the future. But like you were saying, it's good to see you again, because like we didn't know each other before that event. And I wanted to kind of start with this since it's how we met. But it also is kind of a neat introduction to you and cycling was like, True Marmalade throws up on Instagram. Hey, I'm coming to the BOD camp out. Is there a couch I can crash on the night before whatnot? And I'm like, dude, of course you can like crash on my couch. So, you know, I didn't think much about it. And then like you hit me up and you were like, okay, so here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to ride my bike from Austin. Then I'm going to sleep. <laughs> then we're going to ride the 69 miles from Aggieland. It was Aggieland, my local shop. We'll give them a shout out for uh, supporting that route and the ride and everything. But anyway, yeah, so we did the 69 miles the next day. We did 69 miles back the next, and then you rode home to Austin. Yeah. Like, that's how I met you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, t I totally forgot that it was me just looking for a place to stay. I, I knew that, like, the weather was going to be good. I wanted to do a dumb, long ride, right? Like, Austin to, to College Station, where you're at and where the ride started, it was, like, 135 miles based on my route noodling between, you know, a bunch of small yeah. Texas towns. So, yeah, it was... Ride 130 miles Friday, crash at your place, the ride for the weekend, and then ride 130 miles back on Monday. It was a perfect long weekend, right? It was a good almost 400 mile set. But dude, well, I mean, I think it'd be cool to break down that a little bit. Like, yeah. um, one question I get a lot is how to build a route. So, like, mm. whenever you were looking to come to Brian, which is 130, like, what did you do? And then, like, I'm kind of curious how it went. Yeah. Um, I am super loyal, devoted, whatever you want to call it, to Strava, honestly. Um, there's a good bit of debate, like Strava versus Ride with GPS versus, you know, whatever other planning sort of things. But the heat map data that Strava has mm. is completely invaluable. Again, I think Ride with GPS recently added this feature, so golf clap, yay. But obviously more people use Strava, so you have more knowledge about hey, this road I haven't ridden on is bright red on the map versus this one on the side's kind of like hazy blue. I'm going to go with the bright red one. So honestly, it was pull up the heat map, look at the big wide view, Austin to Brian, 
I've ridden some bits of it with different, you know, silly cyclocross races or whatever in between. So it was just like, all right, this town and then this town to this town and then a little bit of Google Street View if something's questionable or like, oh, I have to go on this road, but no one's ever biked it based on the heat map. You know, Google Street View, check it out. I don't. Th- there was nothing super risky. Was it pretty straightforward on yeah, that route? Yeah, uh, yeah, nothing super risky. I had enough small town stops to fill up my water, roll my three bottles, never ran out, plenty of snacks, a good bit of gravel on the way. What do you look for in a route in terms of, uh, are you looking for gravel? Are you looking for safety? Like, what are you prioritizing, like, specifically for that route? It super depends on the bike, right? Which we're probably going to get into. The Can't see it, but there's a lot of them in this apartment. Depends on the bike. And it depends, like, how many miles I've done that week, probably. Or maybe there's a bike I haven't ridden in a while. Like, I haven't taken my single speed cross bike out in forever, like, I would love to go make a route for that thing. And then you'd focus on like, okay, it's really good at single track. Let's find some of that. That connects, you know, this dirt road to this sort of alleyway to this bit of good gravel. And I know there's like a little pump track section on the side of this road. I'm going to go over and hit that. But for this one, it was like mostly getting to the town, right? That was checkbox number one. If I can find gravel on the way, cool. I'm rolling with like 48C tires. I can handle whatever. I think it's it's more being prepared for whatever's going to show up versus, you know, hunting out, not risky, but like different terrain. I'm more about, I'm, I'm going to be ready for whatever. If we hit some gravel, tight. If I didn't, it would still be a good ride, especially based on what was happening that weekend. Yeah. I hear you. Well, I think I'm glad you touched on the heat map stuff because like that's made it almost like cheating. What I do oftentimes, I mean, you know, in Austin, if I go to Austin, right, like you can just have Strava heat maps pulled up and now they have it to where you can, as you're recording and doing your live ride, you can see the heat map in real time. So you can just like, well, I know a lot of cyclists go here, so I'll go this way and you don't have to have a plan. And I really, really love that, especially like I've noticed in urban areas, I just did one of these 35 miles and like Houston, Woodland, Spring, and I did it all off, you know, heat maps. And I just was like, okay, there's some single track, there's some gravel. Uh, that looks like a river cross or <laughs> whatever, a stream crossing. We rode on some railroad tracks. I mean, a little bit of everything, you know, the railroad tracks wasn't on heat maps, by the way. But it's really cool to be able to like, just look at where people go frequently, and you can easily make a route. Yeah. And definitely for finding single track stuff. Like it's so obvious on a heat map because you look, let's take Austin, for example, you're like, okay, here's the lake trail. That's the brightest red thing. And then you have like Shoal Creek, Guadalupe, probably the Walnut Creek Trail. And then you're like, what's this like little bit of noodles between this and this? There's Mm -hmm. like nothing there. And you go look and it's like, oh, it's some bandit trail. It's like a bunch of noodles. Or if you zoom out to like the bigger view of Austin to College Station. Halfway there's like the Delvel motocross track and it's a bunch of noodles from cyclocross races they have there. Or like you look at Bastrop and like there's a mountain bike park over here I never knew. But if you look at the heat map, look for like the crazy noodly bits because that's like you're going to find the good shit in those. Especially if you're in a new city. Like like looking at College Station, I was like hey what's this thing down here? And you're like oh it's this uh, park with the blah blah blah. Yeah. And especially going to Houston, like not great for bikes, but 
using the heat map, you can figure, okay, of all the shitty roads, this is the least shitty one. I'm going to use that to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Well, and that's why we went on a railroad is because it took us on a road that I wasn't willing to ride on. And I was like, you know what? I'll take my chances with a train. Yeah. But hey, that's that's just me. So after that ride, got home feeling great about life until like a week later, two weeks later, COVID hit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I want to talk about you riding with diabetes because actually you're the first diabetic that I actually know of that I've talked to as a cyclist on the podcast. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about you riding with diabetes, how that's been, how you manage it. And, you know, I only know of it from you, honestly. Definitely. Uh, I'm type one diabetic. I'm 34 years old. I've had it since I was, I think, 14. I guess I do like a quick explainer about type one diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> like I've lived do with it. It. everything's do it. routine for me. Basically, my body can't process sugar in, in the way that it should. So if we're sitting around, you know, we're just sitting hanging out and I just have like a can of Coke and I drink it, all that sugar goes into my body and my body's like, What the fuck is this? We don't know what to do with this. We we can't make insulin to process the carbohydrates in this uh, put the sugar into his bloodstream we're just going to put it in there because we don't know how to process it put it in there put some in his urine try and get rid of it that way and then my blood sugar would skyrocket right that's when you poke the finger and put it on the thing and the sort of backwards stereotype that people have about diabetes is i was like oh if you have a cake are you going to die if you have ice cream are you going to die and it's not quite how it works so if i have like that can of Coke or a candy bar or an ice cream, I'm not going to die then. I will feel incredibly shitty, right? It's like your blood's turning to syrup. There's so much sugar in it and you have to pee every half hour. Uh, you get headaches, kind of hangover because you're dehydrated, but you get through that. The reason that eating all these sugary things is bad for me is that having a, a higher average blood sugar, right? 80 to 120 is perfect. 200 is kind of high. 400 is I need to have a sit down and not do anything for a bit. So if over your life as a diabetic, you have a higher average blood sugar, your body will break down quicker than quote normal humans. I don't, I don't, there's don't like using that word, but uh, (laughs) will break down quicker than the body of someone who doesn't have diabetes. And that's why you see the Diabetic socks and diabetics losing their vision and the fingertips, right? It breaks down the tiny blood vessels in your body, which you have in your fingertips and eyes and the end of your feet. On the opposite side of that is low blood sugar, which I figure a lot of bike packers have felt. If you're on a race, that's what bonking is. Everyone knows what that feels like. It's like, I've used up more energy than my body has. Slam a thing of goo, slam a gummy bears. Dude, It's the same for me. It's just, I have a device that I can use and there's a graph that tells me when I'm bonking, an alarm that goes off when I'm bonking. And if I don't fix the bonk, that's when I die, right? Right. So if low blood sugar keeps going and keeps going and keeps going, that's when you pass out coma and that's when you can die. So how do you manage this on a ride, on a trip, you know, like, Take me through that. Other than just keeping on top of my calories that I intake, not much different than someone else. The only times it's gotten a little complicated 
is if I'm on group rides and maybe I messed up my breakfast or something and my blood sugar is high and we're heading out and we're all getting warmed up and maybe at hour and a half in the ride and I check my blood sugar at, at a store stop. I'm like, oh, it's 250 or 300. I'm like, that's way too high. So I take some insulin and then maybe it's my turn to pull. So I sit on the front, I'm doing like a zone four effort using all these non-bike packer terms, uh, but like doing, doing really <laughs> hard work, right? Your heart rate's like 160 Well, even Strava has zone four and all that. So yeah. Same thing can apply if you're riding solo. When I take insulin, I have to be really careful to not overexert because for some reason, and even the endocrinologists that I have don't know why, it compounds the effect that it has. So I've gone from like blood sugar's 300 take a unit and a half, which should bring me down to like 150, 180, which is good. But if I sit on the front and do a pull for 10 minutes and then I'm the next like half hour later, I'm 47, which is like hand shaky, like what the fuck is going on? I'm all dizzy. I think that's the only sort of thing that I have to do differently as a type one diabetic. It's just the same thing for anyone on a ride. Like make sure you got food, make sure you got water. I, I just might have more food. Right, but it's a life or death consequence. Yeah, that's the that's the only thing. Like, if I run out of food, you know, between small towns on my way to Aggieland cycling, that's a no go. That's like me calling nine one one or a friend, being like, "Hey, can you drive seventy miles and bring me a Snickers?" Yeah, it, it's just me me making sure I got backup stuff. Yeah. Do you ever have to take insulin while you're riding? So I have an insulin pump. It's I'm gonna pull it out of my pocket and show you because we're on video. Oh yeah, it's this guy. It's connected with a tube. Yeah. Uh, it basically looks like a little iPod. Yeah, it's like an iPod or a beeper size thing. Yeah. So that is basically acting like my pancreas, right? Your pancreas inside you is giving you little bits of insulin all day. When you eat something or you drink something that has carbohydrates, your pancreas is like, oh, we got to make some insulin to counteract that. So you digest that so your body can use the calories in that thing. I just have to tell my pump how much I ate. You know, so if I go have like a hamburger, I figure like, all right, the buns, like 25 carbs and I have some, a pile of fries. So that's like kind of a lot, like 40 carbs. And then I just type that into the pump. It does the math. It goes boop, boop, boop and wow. pumps the insulin into my stomach. Like it's, yeah, a little doobly right there. Yeah. Which like kind of feels like the future. Yeah. We're talking about, it's interesting how we're, yeah, talking about technology, both like with the heat maps and making it super easy to just find like pretty easy routes or, you know, map from one town to the next pretty easily. And I'm thinking about a diabetic, you know, 30 or 40 or whatever years ago that doesn't have this technology trying For me to, when I was 14, I was doing like two shots a day manually, right? On a super strict diet. And then when I got the pump, it's like, you can eat whatever you want. Just stay on top of your shit. So when did you get the pump? I think right after I left high school. So I would have like 2000, maybe second year of college, like 2006-ish. Yeah. So most of your life, you've had the pump. How did that change your life? Did did that have like a defining change? You mean uh, diabetes or the you pump? Know, a turning point in your life? No, the pump. Uh, you know, being able to manage it more easily. Did that open up? Because like, I, I mean, this is completely different, but I suffered from terrible anxiety and it kept me from so many things. And once I got under control, it was like this whole new world opened up to me. So I was kind of putting myself in your shoes a little. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And that, that also aligns with, as you said, like 
technology and forward progress and tools that we have today that people didn't have even five years ago or 10 years ago. I would probably not be doing the sort of writing that I do slash did if I didn't have the pump. If I had to go on every ride carrying a, a bottle of insulin and a syringe and like doing the math by hand, like, like fuck that, that sucks. Um, and even more so, uh, I used to have like an implant that would read my blood sugar every five minutes and send that to my watch. So if I'm on a ride, I can just like look at my wrist, be like, oh, I'm uh, 103. I got some hills coming up. I should have a, you know, half a cliff bar maybe, or like look at your watch. I feel like I'm, oh, yep, I'm 62. And like, and that did not exist. I love it, man. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, technology is awesome. And, but I think, What's equally awesome about it is you utilizing that technology to, I mean, it's allowing you to ride your bike from your house to my house and go and do a 400 mile ride. And I'm just wondering how many people have type one diabetes that are, are using it as an excuse. And I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I love to, I mean, it's good to have examples of, hey, here's a guy with diabetes that can go and ride 400 miles and do all kinds of crazy epic shit. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's cool, man. Yeah, there's definitely things that still hold me back, like totally in my mind, right? Diabetics have climbed Everest and ran, you know, done the tour divide and raced across America and anything you can think of, right? But there is still a part of it you know, I'd be a little hesitant to do like a cross-country tour because it would mean that's like weeks or months or whatever. It would mean bringing a certain amount of extra stuff, the extra uh, sort of worrying about, yeah, running out of food. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'd ever like ride to South America or any of these super crazy, you know, across Patagonia, Atacama Desert, whatever. Like, that's probably a, a no-go for me, even though like, if they run out of food, they also die. But yeah, like we're, we're both relying on calories to stay alive. But for some reason, the way I think about it, it's, it's a little different. But also like, again, it is weird now because like can't really go do these things because of COVID and shit. But like I was planning on like, you know, did 400 miles in a weekend and then started getting into doing randoneuring stuff, which is like, hey, let's go do a double century in a day and you know, then you do like a 400K and then a 600K and all these sorts of longer things as a kind of lead up to, hey, I have a friend in Missoula, Montana. I don't really want to drive or get on a plane. I'm going to ride my bike there, which like, yeah, still want to do someday. Shout out to Allie Mabry, one of my oldest friends. Like, Oh, Allie. Yeah, we made that connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I Shout out, Shout out to Alan Mabry for sure. Uh, really want to ride my bike. Like I have planned that route using Strava heat maps. Yeah. And Street View, like going this way uh, on the venture cycling route and then up the tour divide and then hop over and then you're there in Missoula. Damn, son. I got some friends up there I want to meet or I, I mean, I want to go hang out with. So someday, the someday true marmalade ride. <laughs> what do you miss more going on bike packing trips or going on Pokemon Go rides? I mean, I can still do <laughs> Pokemon Go rides. I just do them at night. Like, again, depending on how late we go, like we can go for a couple hours or whatever. I don't give a shit. But like, I might go right around tonight. You know, that kind of stuff I just do when I know there's less people out, both like, so I won't get seen 
and I won't see other people acting a fool and get all pissed off in my head. And yeah, it's just, I don't know, when the streets are quiet, like proper quiet at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday night, you know, it's nice to go noodle around and, and catch some stuff. I'm glad you are getting out. I, I've seen a little bit where you've kind of gone off and, and done a little bit of riding solo and whatnot, but like... Yeah, I have been riding outside, but I made my Strava private. Like, all the rides default to private. So that, like, I don't know. When I do that shit, like, it's my business, right? Also, no one gives a fuck. <laughs> like, who who's going to kudo... <laughs> Me going and doing 40 miles of dumb Pokemon Go stuff at 2 in the morning versus... Actually, I did a ride. That's why I got this fantastic tan line still. Uh, I did a ride to Colony, Texas. To Actually, it was a Pokemon Go thing, but a couple Saturdays ago during the day. And that was my first ride outside during the day since end of March, probably. And A, made me realize, like, Yo, if you don't go outside, your base tan goes away. My entire arm peeled skin. I got so sunburned. It was awful. Yeah. And also, like, if you're careful with your route, you also don't see anybody. Like, I didn't see a single cyclist. It was a 139-mile round trip. Like, I had to go down and flip a certain Pokemon gym uh, and then ride back. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah, we should get into the Pokemon Go stuff, too. We should. But I'm I'm really glad that you went on a, a ride and got out because I know obviously you have a serious health concern, but you know mental health and physical health and all those things are are also important. And so figuring out how to manage that with a pandemic has been stressful for a lot of people. So how was it? How was it to get outside and go stretch your legs? Doing it during the day was weird because again, first time I'd been outside riding a bike since March. Um, I had. I think six liters of water with me, like 10 cliff bars, thing of rice. Like the plan was no store stops. Don't risk anything going wrong. I don't want to have to call for help. I don't want to have to touch or be near hundred feet with another person. So like everything went off without any problems, no flats, no mechanicals, had plenty of water left at the end. Honestly, I listened to a bunch of bikes or death shows on the ride. <laughs> like, <laughs> right on, dude. I mean, like, same as when I rode to Brian, right? Like, I listened to your podcast the whole way there just to, like, get amped for it. Not it, it, super boring East Texas roads, but yeah, something with the sun. And that was a ride that I made public on Strava. It was, like, social media shit. Who gives, who gives a fuck? It's internet nonsense, whatever. But like my following on Strava is a lot different than Instagram. Like people comment and ask questions and we have discussions on Strava that for whatever reason don't happen on Instagram. When I put this ride up and made it public, I had, I don't know, 20 or 30 people being like, yo, dude, good to see you outside. Glad you're being safe. Like glad to know. I did the whole ride with a mask on, like around just down below my nose so I could you know, not fog up my glasses when I'm riding, but like, it's there, pull it up in a second. It was nice. But at the same time, like, I'm not like playing in the next one super quick. I did it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was mostly to go do the dumb Pokemon bullshit. <laughs> which might answer my other question about uh, which one do you miss most, Pokemoning or bikepacking? And you planned your first trip as a Pokemon Go adventure. So maybe, maybe that answers the question. I mean, I have a lot more big bikepacking trips that I've done the routes for. I don't know. Again, people do all sorts of crazy long rides, a 
across deserts carrying all their gear, 10 liters of water, 20 days of food. But yeah, it, it feels weird for me to go do like ride to Bastrop camp, then ride to Sam Houston camp, then ride down to Houston camp, then, you know, whatever over in between and put that up in this country, in this state now. Um, th- there's a certain like privilege, m- maybe a iffy word for it, but like that me as a person, as this person at this age, this demographic feeling that like, I can just go do this thing while so many people either can't or could, but are choosing not to, or are like fucking sick or dead because of someone else just fucking around. Right. So that's a big part of why when I had been riding outside, you know, dumb Pokemon go stuff at night, I just keep that private. It's like I log it because I like keeping track of miles and, you know, data and all this shit. But like, I don't want to brag about any of these things. I made all of my Strava private about two years ago just because it's like there's so much of my life that is on the internet. You know, you can listen to me talk for hours. I put, stupid shit on Instagram, but like where I go and like where I sleep that night or whatever is, is my business, especially with and like people, it's funny because we were talking about, we've been talking about heat maps a lot, but, um, I get asked questions a lot. And so I'll address this just for fun, uh, about, you know, specifically on the restaurant loop, we mention in there that there's a hidden lake, you know, or a secret spot or something like that. And I haven't got like a lot of hate, but like some comments about, oh, that's lame, bro. And, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's like, all you have to do is go on Strava heat maps and zoom in. And like, you're going to, like, you're not going to see mine because mine's private, but a lot of other people's is public. And that's another reason why I like mine private because I'm not leaving that imprint on whatever a a spot that I went to or whatever. But like, also it's good to have it public. So you get all that data, but, um, luckily, like you said, there's plenty of people sharing their data, so (laughs) we don't need to be one of them. And when you're planning routes, especially long ones between different towns, you can use the heat map to be like, Oh, here's the corner store. If the red line goes straight past the town, but there's one up over and then a like noodle like oh that's where the corner store is make sure you take the left and the right and the left yeah i don't know why but i went back and looked at that article recently and saw the comments they're like people mad at you mentioning a secret spot and then also mentioning that it's secret but not telling them where it is like no (laughs) (laughs) that's not how it works I've heard from other route builders and I'm, I'm no master route builder. I mean, I threw that one out there as, as a, I mean, that, that route is cool. I'm not going to dog it. It's, it's cool because there's 8 million people that live within a hundred mile radius of Sam Houston national forest. And it serves as a tool, as a gateway for people to find easy gravel to go and ride and do an easy bike packing trip. So it's, it's great. And it serves that purpose, but like, it's not the route creator's job to tell you where to sleep, where to eat, where to poop, where to uh, do all these things, you know? I mean, here's a route, the route goes, you figure some shit out on your own, you know what I mean? Like have some adventure about it, I I think, you know? And so it's not about like being super secretive, but it's that's part of the fun is like going and and figuring it out for yourself, you know? I mean, it's bikepacking still. And so 
I don't know whatever ethos that is that I'm trying to hold to. It's just uh, it, anyway, it's the internet, so I don't worry about it too much. That idea is perfect, right? That way of approaching it very much helps the here's the first step. I know these roads are good. Here's a store if you need it. Here's another store. If you can't make it between those in one night, you're going to have to figure that out and you will be better for that, right? If you like, oh, I have to shit and I'm seven miles from this thing or that thing. Like, oh, do I get on a bike or do I just go behind a tree? Like you have learned like, <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect way to approach it. Yeah. Set it up and like bikepacking.com. Amazing. Like all the routes, uh, you know, some are harder than others and some have more details or less details, but anyone doing those things will be more experienced afterwards, more knowledgeable and more prepared to approach also new things and approach other people about bringing them into the, you know, bike packing as, as a hobby or lifestyle type of thing. Yeah. There's so many technologies that we've touched on that make accessibility easy and anybody can do it. And so, yeah, here's a route, go ride it, figure out the rest. That's just my two cents. No, same here. All right, dude. So like one thing that I was like, you know, again, I didn't know you. Uh, you were some guy on the internet with a shit ton of Instagram followers. And I was like, all right, true marmalade's coming. I don't know what that means. He looks cool. But like, so I think there's two questions there is uh, where did true marmalade come from? And how the fuck did you get all those followers? Honestly, like the true marmalade question is one of my favorites because it is me everywhere. There's no other true marmalade. I am that on every social network I have always been. I grew up being really into reading books. Would go to the library, get like stack of 10, finish them in a week sort of thing. All the way up through, I guess, maybe middle school is around when me and my family got the internet and like AOL Instant Messenger. When you signed up, you had to pick a handle. You got to pick your screen name. Um, and at the time, I had just gotten a book, which was the Dictionary of Slang. And if you imagine Urban Dictionary, the entirety, but printed out in a book, like I'm three or four inches thick, thousand pages book of slang, all slang through history, all this sorts of anything you want to look up, it's in there. And flipping through it, I just found true marmalade, which is like from early 19th century. It's a play on the words, the real jam. And you'd use it like, yo, that uh, Sam Houston restaurant loop was the real jam. Like, Bikes or Death is the real jam. Like, yo, us talking right now is the true marmalade. It is the real jam. Uh, and It's like the purest of the pure. Yeah, like, this is really good. Which, All right. I, maybe me as a you know seventh grader was like, ooh, I'm going to pick this as my handle, and then I'm going to be really good. <laughs> but it was mostly just liking how the word sounded. And it's weird. It means nothing to somebody who doesn't know, right? There's no cultural association to it, right? True marmalade. No. Th that's just what it is. Yeah. Um, but it just like stands out. It just stands out. And anytime there's a new social network, I, uh, I try and hop on and claim it. And in terms of like Instagram and everything. Yeah, because like the one thing I noticed about your Instagram was like you have like 50 something thousand yeah. followers but the engagement was low so i actually like asked you about this whenever we met the first yeah, time that i was, was like uh, we were like in like a hotel room or something and we were we were just shooting this shit basically this podcast but unrecorded right um yeah <laughs> so in a 
TLDR sort of way, robots is the answer to that. Social media robots. Tying into the whole tech and enjoying knowing how things work, probably why bikes appeal to me and, you know, trying new stuff, diabetes equipment, camera gear, computer things, finding efficient ways to perform actions. Um, I had a production artist gig, I think five or six years ago, which was full days of removing the green screen background from photographs so that they could then be composed into different scenes. It didn't take very long for me to realize that I'm doing the same seven clicks in Photoshop every time. Instead of me moving my arm to, you know, menu this and click and boom, there's got to be a better way. Like looked up, hey, how do you automate a computer? You know, then in that day, figured out how to do a week's worth of work in an afternoon. You know, made a little robot to do it, right? Then realized if I can make the mouse move around and click in Photoshop, like what else can I make it click on? And I realized like, oh, I can make it go to Instagram.com slash tagged slash cycling, or at this point, like slash bikepacking, load up every photo that's tagged with, you know, bikepacking, go to the most recent, click on it and like it, run that as a loop every 30 seconds, 24 hours a day. And if you do that for four years, you get 50,000 <laughs> followers. Um, <laughs> but then uh, eventually Instagram figures out that like, A, I'm not the only person doing this. There are people much smarter than me that do it much more efficiently that figure like, hey, they can tell if it's every 30 seconds. That's kind of a robot thing. So let's put a random number in here for the wait time so it's more variable and blah, blah, blah. Eventually they fix their shit so none of it works anymore, right? I made these fun social media robots and then they broke. So there was a time two or three years ago where my photos would get 800,000 likes, right? Because me as my account is going and reminding people that I exist, right? If you post a photo, you know, hey, it might have hit one of yours if you were putting stuff on Instagram before we met, right? You post a photo, you say, hey, who's this true marmalade that liked this picture of my bike against a wall? And then you go to my account, you see like, oh, they also post pictures of bikes against walls. I'm going to like one of their photos or I'm going to follow them. And that building up over time, yeah, it's, it's something that anybody can do. You just sit at a computer and like photos. It's the same shit, but I made robots to do it. Since they broke, uh, I don't really care about increasing the number, right? It was a fun game back in the day. Right. I satisfied the curiosity of that, right? Um, <laughs> checked off that box of figuring out how the system works, exploiting it, and then breaking it. And now I have 50 whatever thousand followers that slowly go down every day. <laughs> <laughs> at, like, at, no, at one point it was like 65-ish, I think. Every every day I lose like 20, yeah. When we met in February, you said, I think you were at 54 and you were like, and it, it's going down every day. And I was curious if like it had started going back up, if like your followership had like been exposed to like this new, I don't know. And like it started to like kind of equilibrium. And Yeah, th there was definitely a boost from the like Studio Ghibli video. I got like 200 extra followers in a day from that. But overall, yeah, it's just slowly going down. And I don't know if I get 200 likes on a photo, it's a good photo. So you can use that to gauge how many 
quote, real people are still following me versus maybe accounts that existed back when I, you know, my robot liked one of their pictures and now they don't use Instagram anymore or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, that's a super easy way to tell if somebody's legit <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> if they might have 100,000 followers, but 30 likes on a picture, like that's definitely some, some shady shit going on. So yeah, this is me admitting to some shady shit that I did back in the day, but I don't know. It's, it's, it was fun. Admitting to some shady fun, shit. You right? just played with the fucking robots, man. But honestly, like, it was really helpful. Like, it has, admittedly, I've gotten free shit from bike companies because of that. We, I don't know, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation if I had 200 followers, uh, maybe. Hopefully we would, because, like, maybe. I would still Hopefully have good pictures would. or whatever, but, like, there's definitely connections that I've made because of social media that I wouldn't have if I had not done this silly robot thing. Yeah. Well, like the interesting thing about it is not that you have a lot of followers, right? Yeah. Like at first someone would look at that and they'd be like, oh, this guy's got a lot of followers. And so it makes you like interested. It, it says, okay, well, what is he doing? Let me check him out, blah, blah, blah. But like, the interesting thing about it is you, like yeah. your mind, the way it works, you're just like, oh, I'm doing this edit. Okay, did it, where else can I apply the same principle? Oh, I could do a social media. Let me just see if I can. But it's just the way your mind works. It's let me see if I can insert myself into a Studio Gimli, uh, you know, film. You know, let me just see, you know. So it, it speaks to you as a person. Like, it, it's not, I don't know, it's not like shady shit. It's just like, this is Eric. Eric tinkers. He figures out stuff. He plays with stuff. Yeah. And he doesn't look at it in the same way that I might look at it. I would never think to do that, you know? But that's what I love about meeting new people and getting to talk to them is like, I don't care how many followers you have. I think it's more interesting and more, you the know, process, fun that yeah. you like. How? <laughs> yeah, that's like, there's a story behind it. It's like, I didn't, take ass shots or whatever, you know, yeah. pictures of my booty for, you know, Which, whatever. Hey, if it works, you know, it you works, like, but it wouldn't work for me. Yeah, right? we all have our processes. <laughs> yeah. Some people have to do that and some people have to get robots, but yeah. it all, you know. <laughs> it, you're absolutely right with the like uh, tinkering nature. I made any social media site that I'm on, I have a robot for it, right? Like expanding on it a little bit, like once I figured out, oh, it works on Instagram, where else can it work? Uh, Strava. What's the next? What's the next one? Um, Instagram has a rate limit. If you like X number of photos within, you know, one hour, they block your account for 24 hours. They're like, whoa, 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 slow down. That's too much. Strava <laughs> didn't in 2017. I don't remember if anybody remembers what happened to Strava in 2017, but it broke because of me. And my robots, because I was running, I think at one time, 12 instances of, and I think each one was giving five kudos a second. It was in the span of a week, I gave like a million kudos on Strava. Wow. To the point where their team like emailed me like, oh, what's going on with this? But <laughs> also, um, because the way I did it, the URLs for clubs on Strava is just like a six-digit number. 
So I just Strava.com slash clubs slash generate random number zero to a million or whatever, plug it in. We'll load up a random club. It discovered, rather, it ended up exposing a vulnerability where if you, having a private Strava account, are a member of a public club, every activity you post shows up in that public club. So me, not being an approved follower of you, would give you a kudo with a private account. You're like, who the fuck is this Eric Bingazer from Austin, Texas? Did they hack my account? I'm private. Hmm. For a while, when you typed Eric Bingazer into Google, it would autocomplete Strava hacker, which is <laughs> so hilarious to me. Um, obviously, eventually Strava fixed this, right? Like they got so many complaints about this thing where it's like, yeah, duh. Like, wh- how did you guys not catch the super obvious thing? Same with like, hey, you know what, Eric? They didn't uh, take three days to sit on it. <laughs> they like finished Strava. And they're like, and they said, you know what, guys, it's good. It. Let's just throw it out there. <laughs> and then Eric comes along. He's like, no, bitches, y'all should have spent like, some I'm time. Gonna, I'm going to find a way to break your shit a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Eventually, they like fix that. They fix like uh, heat maps around military zones, which like, y'all, how do you fuck that up too? Put a rate limit in. Like now it's, I don't know, whatever number of kudos an hour. But like via tinkering and experimenting and testing the limits of stuff, whether it's computers, social networks, services, or bicycles, or your body. Let's try these different things and see if you can make it better or more efficient, or you push it too far and it breaks. That's what I was thinking. Like, you know, Strava owes you. Like, you help them be better. Yeah, there's no way to put like a obviously not a monetary value or any sort of percentage or anything, but like, yeah, what what if someone who thought they had a private account had their activity seen by somebody who wanted to impose harm upon them? And now they know where they live because they can see their little route. Like, these are speculations I would never want to make, but it's like, this is something they should have anticipated. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, the experimenting it, and tinkering. But <laughs> again, it speaks to... You as a person, your uniqueness. Um, and like we already said that you're a fan of Strava. So this isn't bashing Strava. Absolutely like not. you love yeah. Strava, your team Strava. So like it's just it is what it is. Like they had some holes in their wall. The metaphor for it, yeah, like whatever it is. Yeah. And this was back in <laughs> twenty seventeen, right? Um Yeah, that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. In in twenty seventeen, I have the most kudoed ride on all of Strava for the year twenty seventeen. Because of these robots. Which one is it? If you if you Google just most kudoed ride Strava, it probably shows up. It was written up in, I think, Bicycling Mag. Some website wrote about it. And it is fully me riding a Scott Big Ed fat bike for like 30-something miles at 8 miles an hour playing Pokemon Go. And it has like... Oh, I'm finding it right now. The most kudoed activity on Strava in 2017 was... It has like seven or 8,000 kudos and it's the the dumbest ride. And I feel like that so perfectly encapsulates the... Yo, you don't need to be pumping out sick watts to get appeal. Because like, again, I didn't buy... The kudos. You can't buy kudos on Strava. I didn't buy any of my followers on Instagram. All I did was remind somebody that I exist. 
and they choose to go look at it and they choose to like a photo. They chose to give a kudo on this absurd ride. Almost 7,000 kudos. Almost 7,000. I mean, 6,900 is pretty nice too. <laughs> yeah, I like 6,900. Well, it's, it's actually closer to 6,900 because it's 6,943. So if we were going to round that, it would be to 6,900. I like it. Yeah, it's just a fun thing to play with. It's another thing to experiment. I learned a lot from it. Definitely used it in some professional circumstances, right? For specific social media campaigns. But yeah, just tinker with whatever it is in your life that you can tinker with. uh, And maybe you'll learn something. All right. So did you have anything else you wanted to say about Pokemon Go? Because I know that's like... uh, it is the only video game that I play. Is there like a, a, a small group of like hardcore Pokemon Go cyclists that I'm like unaware of? Like you're part of some like big subculture or are you just like, a I don't know, a wild man out there, a bearded wizard in night going through, <laughs> through the streets of Austin looking for Pokemon battles? I wouldn't say a, a big group of cyclists, but there is both uh, on the east side of Austin where I live like the East Side crew, where when there are certain raid days happening, where here's a big boss, we got to get all of our friends together to beat this big boss because one account can't do it on its own. We would get on our bikes and hop between them, both because it was faster than cars and just because it was more fun. Like, your dude, your squad mm. rolling around the East Side, like on 10 different kinds of like three shitty Walmart, whatever's one BMX bike, me on some titanium nonsense, whatever the fuck, like super good vibes. Um, early on in the game, there used to be like super hacked together maps that would show you where rare Pokemon were. And me and a, a very good friend of mine, Carl, uh, who is also a hardcore player and hardcore meaning like top 0.1% of people in the world. Uh, I certainly am, and he is as well. We would pull up the map and be like, "Wait, did you say you're in the top one percent too?" Top point one percent. Point one percent. Holy shit! It's tough to gauge it whether you go by like experience points or catches, but yeah, I, I would bet like real money that I'm in that tiny little sliver. But uh, Carl and I would pull up the map and be like, "All right, we're at uh, Congress and Six. There's a." Uh, 100% Chansey up at Shoal Creek and 45th. It's going to despawn in 23 minutes if we take like this route or this route and then go up here and like, all right, you pull for this part. And it would be like us on a Sunday racing across Austin to catch rare Pokemon. And I feel like if the game was exactly what it is, but you didn't have to go out and do the shit, like go out to catch things, I would have no interest in it, right? It being wrapped in Pokemon as an intellectual property has some appeal to me. You know, games came out when I was in middle school. I've played all of them. But it's more about, uh, especially playing on a bike, going to specific locations in your town or other towns, um, tiny small towns in Texas, whatever, to find different stuff. Whether it's like a gym that you want to take or a rare thing you've been looking for and you can catch it. You know, the, the game came out and everyone's like, it's augmented reality because you can hold your phone up and look through it and throw to catch it. But like hardcore players never use that because it's more difficult. But also I feel I feel like the real augmented reality that it is, is how it introduces you to new parts of your city. 
all the stuff in the game, like gyms and stops that you get items from, are all points of interest. Uh, libraries, churches, post offices, um, notable businesses, but especially like street art, especially in Austin. There are a lot of great murals that are stuff in the game Pokemon Go that any player would be like, oh, I, I need I need some more Pokeballs. I got to go over to this. Uh, it's a, a mural of that. Okay, I'm going to go this street and go find it. And they find something new about their neighborhood. Or maybe the stop is a cafe they've never been to. And they go to get whatever shit in Pokemon Go. But then they like see the cafe and they think it's interesting. And they go get a coffee. It's, it's any new town. Dude, any new town that I'm in, pull the game up. All right, the post office is there. Library's back there. Oh, there's a restaurant over here that's got a fancy sculpture out front of it. Let's go check that out, right? That's what I love most about the game. Uh, collecting stuff, fine. But it's like discovering the world is is super fun. Yeah. Well, it's a reason to explore different parts of your same city. We all get in the habit of like a routine, a route. We talked about a lot about routes, right? Like, oh, here's the route I do. Here's my 10 mile route, my 15, my 50, like all these things. And you're like just on your route. And so you don't go on all these side streets. And that's one thing I know. Actually, you wrote all the streets in Sam Houston National Forest. I just remembered that. I was thinking about- I made the route um, for it. I didn't ride it. Oh, I made oh, okay, I made the route okay. on Strava. I didn't ride it though. Cause I made it like right when lockdown happened. I was like, this is on the to oh, list. Oh, bummer. So, sorry for the yeah. But yeah, all right. All that's right. a for sure to do. But but you're absolutely right. Like discovering new stuff, and I do like the filling in the map kind of thing. God, I can't remember the dude's name. Uh, he wrote every sh- uh, Aaron John uh, Aaron yes. Chamberlain. He wrote every street in Austin. Yeah, right. Last year, yep. just finished riding around all of Texas, which is I'm using a mind blown gesture, like insane. <laughs> like looking at that route. It's it's a noodly weird outline of Texas, but like I can't imagine the things that he discovered riding both every street in the town that he's probably lived in for a while and has been very familiar with, and also a state that he's lived in probably his whole life, but never had a reason to ride on these roads. And Pokemon Go is a reason, super dumb, but like I love it. It's a it's a childish, lovely, wonderful thing. It brings me nothing but joy. Yeah. <laughs> And that's all it should do, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I like that about it. I like that about you that you do it. Like, I love um, exploring on a bicycle, you know? I mean, I, I just did that urban exploration ride, and you will never learn your city better than you will by riding your bike and really getting lost and seeing what's out there. And um, I don't play Pokemon Go when I do it, but I intentionally make it a point to go down this road. And that's one reason I also made Strive a private is to stop caring about, you know, was I faster on this segment as somebody else? It's like, no, I don't want to give a shit about that. I want to make sure that I, I I explored this gravel road that was down here that I never, I never went down it before because I was always on this segment or whatever, you know? So like, yeah. Julia, that's, yeah, exactly, exactly how it feels. Yeah. I got to tell you before I forget that I'm actually headed to Austin tomorrow to interview Aaron Chamberlain. Nice. That's going to be a good one. Uh, Bring my shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Good reminder. It's funny because I totally forgot your shirt 
but I was like thinking, okay, dude, this time you 100% have to bring a sticker because I don't have my own inventory. I have a I have a friend of mine that manages inventory to shipping and stuff because you don't want me, ADD boy, <laughs> to like be managing shipping. I tried it in the beginning yeah. and it wasn't pretty, so... Yeah. But anyway, I don't I don't even have my own inventory. So a lot of times I forget to like bring stickers places and stuff. But yeah, I need a sticker your van. And I need to bring your fucking shirt. I just hung it up in my closet because I move into a new house. So like I just hung it up in my closet. <laughs> and you're like, but what the fuck I'm going to miss this? it, man. Like, that every time I like go in my closet, I, I have this like reminder of of Eric from when you like came and did that trip. So but anyway, yeah, I, I had to mention I'm excited to uh, to head up there and and uh, interview Aaron um, tomorrow. Wow, podcasty, podcasty, podcasty. You're a busy man. Yeah. Okay, so you have been locked down, quarantined. You know, pretty well, really isolating. Pretty hard. Yeah. And one thing that I was thinking about that's kind of interesting is what has been produced by that forced lockdown. And one of them is this film that you created, which is the reason, I mean, we've talked about doing a podcast, but whenever I saw that film, um, it really hit me. And let's just actually say right now what the film is, and people should probably push pause and head to your Instagram. So why don't you say real quick what it is and where they can find it so they can push pause and go watch it real quick. It was my entry to a contest held by Swift Industries. Every year they do a Swift camp out, which is like, get your local crew together, your bikepacking squad, um, go to a state park or campground or whatever, you know, take pictures, use our hashtag, whatever, promote bikepacking because it's awesome, which we both agree and everyone listening probably agrees. It's awesome. I've done the Swift camp out last year and the year before with the Austin crew. We have a couple of good local sites, but this year, obviously, it'd be, you know, while some countries at the time were doing a much better job and you could get a crew together and go camp, they obviously couldn't promote it like they used to. So they decided, hey, let's do a contest. Um, if it's safe where you are, go camp, make a little video about it, three to five minutes long, whatever kind of music or no music or editing format you want to do. Um, winner gets some you know, bags and so on from all these different companies and reposted on our, our social channels. Um, and I saw that and I was like, oh, I should do, I should do a thing. I just finished building a very large green screen studio in my apartment, both just as like a quarantine project and became obvious that like, I got to keep making stuff, making this infrastructure improvement will help me be able to keep making stuff. So I filmed me riding on a set of bike rollers on one of my camping bikes and then used After Effects to compose me into a series of scenes from Studio Ghibli movies set to some, you know, wonderful Totoro lo-fi sort of sort of song. Oh, the music was spot on. Go to my Instagram, which is True Marmalade. If you scroll down, it's probably still there or hit the like IGTV button and it'll be in there. It's like three and a half minutes long. Sound on is very important. If you can watch it on a TV, that's good. Or like turn your phone sideways to get the full screen. But hit pause now. Okay, you're back. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully <laughs> it, uh, I don't know, brought some sort of emotion. Whether you have a connection with the Studio Ghibli films um, or just like good lo-fi music or like this desire to, yes, we're stuck inside, but we can still 
make things, uh, you know, whether you don't have After Effects skills or a huge green screen, like you can make stuff. It doesn't need to be fancy. You can still make stuff and inspire. And this sort of project was just so much fun to make. I learned so much, like new skills, learning it. And did you have a goal? Like you were just talking about, I hope you, you know, got this out of it or maybe that, like, did you go into it with any kind of like, I want to create this or you're just like, I'm going to create a video and I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, it definitely didn't start out as complicated as it ended up being. I knew the concept, wanted to put myself into movie scenes. Um, initially, the idea was using scenes from Disney movies because the like Disney like animatics or something like they put a bunch of um, short videos on Disney Plus where it's just like good sound design with landscape shots from their films, and I was like, oh, I can put myself into that. It ended up. Somewhere in the first week of working on it, I was like, these clips are too hard to work on. I guess I probably saw like a Studio Ghibli GIF or something, you know, inspired by something, and then realized like most of the shots in Studio Ghibli movies are perpendicular to the subject. It's just going right sideways across the screen. The frame rate is half, so it's less work to like cut out around things. And also, I really felt that like, it would connect with people on a different kind of way than Disney movies would. Did not set out for it to get the number of views it did or inspire people the way that it did. It was definitely a project for the sake of making a project. Even if there was no contest or like, again, disclaimer, like I got second, the video that won absolutely deserved it, right? Beautiful story that they told, uh, much more inspiring than mine. Uh, mine might have more rewatchability, but the winner was so, so good and inspiring. And like, I, I didn't, didn't set out with the goal of winning anything like, Hey, I'm set on bags. Like I don't need more bags, especially bags. I'm not going to use because mostly quarantine lockdown. It was just, here's an excuse to make a thing, had a blast making it and people had a blast watching it. It made me want to reach out to you and just catch up with you because like we said, we met when we were in a different time back before the world shut down. And like, it was interesting to watch from my perspective. And there was a couple of takeaways I had. And one being that, wow, it's kind of cool what Eric did with this time, you know, but it's also like sombering that he had to be, you know, quarantined away. And it was like you reaching, I mean, I'm kind of maybe getting a little philosophical, but it was like you reaching out to the community and being like, I want to be there. You know, I want to be riding my bike and I want to be out there and I want to be back in the world and I want to, you know, be doing all this. And like, that's what I felt. And like, it made me feel for you and I guess everybody else. And I mean, it's just like, it was kind of a little bit sad and a little bit beautiful at the same time. Does that make sense? I, I said something early on uh, when it, when I first posted it. Um, I hadn't been so emotional or cried so much in like 24 hours as the first 24 hours after putting that video up because I got hundreds of messages, like DMs and emails on top of the comments on the video, like people direct being like, hey, I don't feel you know comfortable posting this as a comment, but I just got to say like, and then everything you just said. They're feeling super insane because they're either like in a much worse living situation or a different country that's more locked down. They wish they could go bikepack too. And like inspired by Studio Ghibli movies because the 
beautiful scenes that that the, these films contain and putting myself in them I don't know, I guess people living vicariously through me living vicariously through the, it's like three levels removed, but but somehow still so effective. And yeah, it, it just meant so much that it meant so much to so many people. Well, I mean, you, you can tell that you like put your heart and soul into it, you know, like it, it had the feeling that you like cared, you know? And, it, and again, it's like this product of like this, like, I don't know, cool guy who's just kind of quarantined and like trying not to go mad and and finding projects and ways to still be part of the bikepacking community. And like, you know, like it was really well done. And it, it, I didn't cry. I'm not much of a cryer, not that, but <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be tough. I just, I, 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 um, but I, I was, I was emotionally moved by it, like for real. And like, I, I wanted, I was like, dude, I want to, I want to talk to Eric. Like, I just want to like reach out and talk. And I mean, part of it, I, I, th- part of it was like, yeah, I just want to reach out and talk. And then the other part was like, really like, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> and I, I, that's a legit question. So I, I'm kind of curious, like what, I, I mean, yeah, what is your background that allows you to do that? And you said you learned a lot. So how hard was it to actually like make it? Because from my perspective, again, being well done, it, it looks like it was hard to make. Diving into my history a little bit, um, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design for graphic design, have a minor in photography. Since living in Austin, I've done design work for hundreds of startups and you know, some bigger clients, smaller clients. And a lot of that is social content, stuff for social media. And as I'm sure you've noticed, um, stuff that moves gets more clicks and more eyeballs. GIFs, TikToks, you know, Vines, when that was a thing, right? Stuff with little effects added on. And so my day-to-day tasks at these, at these different jobs would be, you know, making animations using After Effects and Adobe Premiere. So I have the background as a motion graphics designer, which allowed me to approach this with the like, okay, if I need to put myself into this scene, how do I separate the scene, right? There's a foreground, uh, a midground where I'm going to be, and then the background, right? Like, okay, put the foreground on a different layer, film me on the green screen, key out the green screen and After Effects, put me in there, try and get the size kind of right. Um, it's, I don't know, most people can get the idea of how Photoshop works, you move stuff around, make a bigger, smaller, paint out, you know, eraser tool stuff you don't want. This is exactly like that, just over time, right? A lot of it is frame by frame, uh, which you can see in, in the couple behind the scenes clips that I put up, like when I would draw the path around the car as it crosses in front of me, right? Yeah, that's cool. That's what that was neat is all the attention to detail, the your friend holding the fan. And I mean, you had to get the speed ride and d- ring the bell at the dog that barks at you. And I mean, there was a lot of little like, you know, details that you put in. It was it wasn't just thrown together. I, I, you know? I got to give a lot of credit to Allison helping out, which, again, as a project in lockdown, when people are going insane and being able to do work with another real life human being uh we're both pretty immunodeficient and don't trust anybody right i don't trust anybody to be as safe as i'm being but thankfully we trust each other um and really came back together for this project and like 
fan, her idea. Ringing the bell at the dog, her idea. Like, a lot of the little details is when we're reviewing the footage, and she would be like, can you do this with the thing? And I'd be like, I bet I can. And then that's when I would learn how to do whatever. Don't think I gave her enough credit for yeah support. Cause like, I think, I mean, on Instagram you did, I know on Instagram you did. I, well, I mean, I, I think you just did. I was going to say, it's nice that like you're, you're giving her, you know, you know, props, uh, much to props. And like, the truth is, I mean, I think a lot of times we're better together when we have like, you know, you have a creative that's going in a direction or, you know, you have a vision, but then outside perspective is always valuable, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah shout out to Allison. Couldn't do it without her. Yeah, it, it would have been a many months longer project pain in the ass because like, again, I'm riding on rollers, like me holding on to the stool to start trying. It's all squiggly because I got paneers on my bike. Like riding on rollers is easy, but like, on a low trail paneered up bike with mustache bars, all fucking weird position. And then like I start riding, she would grab the stool out of the way, hit record, make sure I'm in frame and focus all the sort of stuff. Yeah. Super, super helpful. Like completely invaluable to the project for sure. Do you have any sense how many hours you had into that project? The project, I guess I picked this large of a scope because right when it started, I was between jobs, didn't have any clients, I've been freelancing for the last year, right? Which hit or miss. Sometimes months are good. Most months are bad. And I was like, look, if I don't get any more clients, here's a huge project to throw myself at. Turns out two days later, got a big client giving me, you know, full eight hour days. So the project went from... From this? No, no. Like related to like other design it stuff I've done. Coincidence. Yeah, coincidence. Um, okay. And it ended up like, all right, I do a full eight to 10 hour day of you know, graphics work, then film this at night for a couple hours and then check the footage. Okay. The lighting on this one's bad. Redo it the next day. I think the first week was filming, had my shot list. Okay. Here's three from this side, four from this kind of front angle. One's a little higher up. It's just me turning my body on the green screen, making it look like the camera's in different positions. Camera's always in the same spot because like the green screen doesn't move, but I can move on the green screen. That's part of the magic of it. Filming everything probably took a week. Putting myself into the clips probably took another week. And this is again like two to three hours every night. Final ordering to like try and tell some part of a story. You know, it starts off with me packing the bag and then we're riding through kind of city scenes and it sort of transitions to more country roads and then it's night and then the campsite. There's a solid five minutes of clips that I have saved I can make a whole nother video with, right? Which I might do someday. So like assembly took another day and then doing the sound design for everything took a good two to three days, like full weekend of work plus another couple nights. Every sound you hear in the video is, I dropped in. The music, all the sound effects, the cars, the bike noises, everything. Like dog barking, I had to go find a clip of a dog barking and time it right when the dog barks, right? And it just all came together you know, there were a good few days where like it was done, quote unquote. So let it sit, take a break from it, come back and visit it. Maybe you see other errors you didn't, you know, the first time around, show a couple friends. So you finished it and then you, you paused always and came back to it a few days later. Tell me about that. You said always, what does that mean? Whenever working on something 
this quote unquote big, whether it's for a client or again, this is just a project for myself, right? There's no, if I miss the deadline or fuck it up, there's no punishment, but I cared about it. And like Allison cared about it too. So you just give it a few days and maybe during those few days, you know, you're making your morning coffee and you think of something to add or you like, man, that, that clip where like the car does this thing, I'm too small on the scene. So we can take that one out and kind of doesn't line up with the story. Again, deadlines aside, when you have the time to step away from stuff like this, just give the brain a good relax. Um, I, yeah, I, I find it always helps. I think that's smart, man. I think that's really smart. Yeah, it's like you finish it and then you like sit with it. Yeah. Well, you're a, I mean, you're a professional, so that, I'm picking I mean, because otherwise, like <laughs> you finish the video, instantly upload it. And then two days later, someone in the comments is like, hey, you uh, cut your arm off in this one scene because it overlapped the whatever. And you're like, ah, fuck, I have to go back and edit that. Like that, that's what, that's what so giving did, it the couple did days. Did anybody helps. else know besides Allison outside that you were working on this? Like, were you sending it to people to get outside perspectives and, hey, did I miss anything and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, there, there are a couple. I mean, like, most of my friends are internet friends. Most of my art school friends I'm still friends with online. And yeah, we bounce projects off each other, whether it's like brainstorming concepts or, hey, here's an edit, be brutally honest. And someone was like, yo, you don't need this end 30 seconds extra bit. And I was like, ah, shit, they're right. Like I worked hard on it, <laughs> but the viewer doesn't know my reason for putting it in. They're just watching it as here's a full piece of work. And yeah, we have, I don't know, I imagine you have it for the stuff you work on, right? We have a bias towards the I things do. that we make. And it's tough for us to criticize ourselves a lot of the time. Yeah. And I have a group that I shoot things to all the time, you know, like, I don't know why people listen to this podcast, you know, like I need other people <laughs> to tell me, you know, and like, uh, it's just, it's like I said, it's always good to get outside perspective, you know, on, on anything that you're doing. I'm, I'm creating a new website right now. I should probably send it to you actually. Now that we're Do it. thinking about it, <laughs> I, I should definitely send it to you, but I'm about to roll out a new, uh, new website. And so like, you know, I have a podcast that's maybe in the creative space, but I am not a creative person i've always been in like the business world and you know it's more about getting deals done yeah, I, well not. i mean i don't know like it's tough to define oneself as what they are outside of this is my job right well when, when you're meeting someone for the first time right at a bar when that was a thing like what do you do people always answer with oh i'm a computer programmer or i'm a sales this or i'm a vp of whatever rather than actually saying what they do, right? Yeah, I try to get away from that. You're still selling houses, real estate, nonsense, sales, like, but that's not what you are. You are a creative person for sure, even if, if it's just audio, like the amount of work and passion you put into this thing that we're making now together, as well as like, dude, you just making routes and putting them on bike packing, like, that's creative work as well. Also, you're photographer you take pictures that counts like sure we don't need to limit like pull back on like oh i'm not creative because of this i think you have a valid point and i appreciate it i i think you know i can fall in the trap as easily as anybody else is like oh man i 
I wish I was creative in this space. And I don't, I don't have an eye for design, you know, the way somebody else might, you know, or whatever. And so, yeah, I can like say, oh, well, I'm not that creative, but okay, well, I'll, I'll take <laughs> yeah, it. Just don't, don't be again. So hard I, I'm yourself. all about yeah. outside perspective. So, <laughs> you know, you have to understand I'm a 40 year old guy who has lived my whole life kind of thinking that I wanted to be on this. Well, I was on the, the standard American life plan. Not the standard American diet. I mean, I'm, I was on the standard American life. I want the house, the kid, the job, the wife, the backyard with the picket fence, you know? And I was on that path for, you know, the majority of my life. And thankfully, in the last, you know, whatever odd years, I've kind of, you know, opened my eyes to a whole nother reality and started to explore that. But I'm still figuring it out. So it's always good to get feedback all about it. I, I don't think it's ever, again, quote, too late to change especially in this way like 40 or 45 or 60 whatever the hell like you can be inspired by something and want to take up a new hobby right you're inspiring people by having these conversations with far more adventurous folk than me but also like the work you do with bikepacking.com and your instagram and just the stuff you're doing around your town right you for sure have inspired somebody to do an amazing thing who would not have done that amazing thing without you existing, right? I can yeah. guarantee that that has happened. And I imagine may- maybe my work, you know, the, either the photos or the silly gifts or this video that I made has done the same for somebody. And again, that's not saying like, that's what makes a creative person a quote creative person or not. But it, it is a reason to, you know, let's make stuff for the sake of making stuff, whether it's a bikepacking route or a review of some handlebar, or you playing around with different configurations of your single speed, right? You're inspiring <laughs> yeah. people like, fuck it, put drop bars on a mountain bike, you know? Like, dude, the first time I saw your chumba, I was like, this bike is awesome. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, inspiring, <laughs> right? Like, let's get more yeah. people making stuff. I blew stuff. minds with the chumba. That was fun. I don't, it, to, to me, like that Chumba always wanted drop bars. And I know that goes against, sorry, Whatever. Vince, <laughs> but like it, it's my bike. As soon as I bought it, it became mine and uh, it wanted drop bars for me. And it still has drop bars. It's gone through four or five different sets of bars now, but that's part of the fun. But yeah, I mean, to your point about being a creative person, you know, I live my life going a direction for a long ways. And I kind of like had my eyes open to this whole other way of living. And yeah, I want to be a voice for that. And I know, I mean, just through messages and people that I communicate with that, that, I mean, thousands of people listen to this shit, you know, like they hear it and they make decisions based on it. Maybe not a hundred percent decisions, but they're, you know, some of them are inspired to go and do things. I mean, I get messages all the time about people who actually the name of Bikes for Death has been very beneficial because it's not bikepacking specific, although that's where I live. I love the outdoors and getting on a bike and getting away from people, but it's allowed me to reach you know, a whole new audience of cyclists who uh, bikes are death. Oh, what is this? You know, it could be a roadie or, you know, a commuter that messages yeah. me and be like, dude, I didn't even know about this. I didn't, you know, I didn't know about people who were doing it and they go on their first overnighter, you know, it's like, you know, that's crazy. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate it. I, I don't take a compliment too well, <laughs> but I was actually just recording 
the episode I just released today with uh, Chris Picard, we talked about compliments and being able to accept a compliment is kind of like a, a sign of maturity. You know, it's sure. like it's it's okay to like say yes you've done something it goes into like kind of a negative space when you're like dwelling mm-hmm. on that and like that's the whole point is like i'm the man uh, yeah and i do shit and my numbers are so good <laughs> you know but but it's okay if someone gives you a compliment you say thank yep. you i appreciate it and let's yeah especially because like you saying that to yourself you know ties into like imposter syndrome or whatever delineation of that is but like when someone else says it, there's a much higher chance, like, they're being honest. Like, because, like, A, it takes a lot of courage to just approach somebody and say that. Uh, whether it's on Instagram or via email or, like, in real life, talking to you or, like, talking to other people on rides. Like, hey, I saw this thing you did. It was fucking sick. That takes a lot of courage. So you should always be, like, welcoming of, again, compliments is a form of feedback, like welcome the feedback. Like it will make you better for it, whether it's positive compliments or you know constructive negative criticism. Actually, I think that's very well said and good advice. Like you have to equally and without bias accept the good and the bad. Like if somebody is going out of their way to tell you, hey, like I called you up and I'm like, well, I didn't call you up. I text message, I DM'd <laughs> you up on Instagram. Let's be yeah. honest, I don't call yeah. anybody anymore. <laughs> I don't have your. Well, I do have your number. I'm never going to call you though. <laughs> yeah, but, like reaching out, yeah, uh, just reached out, like said, "Hey, I'm I'm a fan of what you're doing," and like obviously we travel in the same spaces. Yeah. Like, let's fucking do a thing. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, I mean, and, and to circle back around to you, which is the point of this <laughs> podcast. God damn it, is. Uh, your film was really well fucking done, and I'm sorry I didn't cry. I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to try to cry. As long, as long as you feel but, a little something. Um, you don't have to cry. But just do, feel a little something. Dude, no, I I felt you, man, like for real. Like I met you that one time. I know you're, I, I don't know, man. I mean, you're just like a really, the cool thing about bikes is that it brings together this great conglomerate i don't even know of of unique and really interesting people and i love them all equally and you're in that group you know like you're the guy who is like i'm just gonna ride my bike 135 miles i don't give a shit if i have fucking diabetes i'm gonna play pokemon go (laughs) the whole way you know like you know and then i don't know i I just i i love this community i love you know you're a part of it and as much as I hate that you're on lockdown and in quarantine, there was something, again, beautiful and also kind of sombering about that video. And for you to be able to bring out like both of those emotions at the same time was like kind of profound. Like I could feel you in that video. Like I, I could feel your effort. I could feel your passion. I could feel your longing to be back yeah. in society and being like riding your bike like a normal person. And I think so many people probably had that same yep, reaction. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And and if like things were normal, and maybe they did the same contest, but everybody could go out. I might have tried to make some video of like the squad riding to the campsite and edit it to some other lo-fi soundtrack but like it wouldn't have been this this is a perfect example of you know not everyone has to like learn some new 17 languages or write the new american bestseller novel or you know amazing things in lockdown 
right? As long as you're alive and you're not harming other people, like A plus job. But this is definitely an example of like, <laughs> was inspired by the limitations that I have. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad for it. Beautiful and sombering at the same time. All right. Well, I want to, uh, we got a lot of questions from Instagram. I sifted through. <laughs> got all the nonsense up there. Uh, I, I sifted through quite Benny, a bit. I'm calling out Benny for sending in like 17. Was Benny the one that wanted you to call him? Uh, probably. I think ben, probably. Benny was like, why don't you return my call? So let's start with that. I wanted in with a rapid fire Instagram question and answer session. So let's start with Benny. Benny. Why aren't you returning Benny's calls? Uh, I don't think Benny has my phone number. So <laughs> Benny, it's because you ain't calling me, dude. Benny. Benny. That's Benny, why. send him your fucking number and then he'll call you or not. Then he'll have the option. All right. Favorite piece of flair that is non-useful. Mm, this is the like favorite bike thing that's not. On my tracklocross bike, there is a ribbon hanging from the saddle that says second place. And it is from a science fair in fourth grade. And I believe the project that I made was a clay model of a pickup truck that had a sliding rear door, like a van, but it was on a pickup truck. And for whatever reason, I got second place. And that is now hanging on the saddle of my uh, track lacrosse bike. Did your parents help you with that project? I don't think so. I mean, other than like buying the clay for me or whatever, uh, and like we owned a truck. My parents have always had like, you know, Ford F-150s or whatever. So I probably just sat in the driveway and was like... <laughs> modeling it wow. yeah second place okay <laughs> my yeah my daughter is uh in fifth grade now and i'm thinking that's outside of like she would be wanting me to help her <laughs> i mean honestly they might have it was forever ago i have no idea <laughs> who knows favorite bike you've owned that's like almost not a fair <sighs> question but do you um, have one yeah it's definitely not a fair question currently in my apartment there are 13 probably like 13 and a half <laughs> if we count the pet the womb balance bike which i'm saving for my niece and we count the decordy that i got from deluxe which is just art not a rideable thing uh, i think there's like 13 yeah um favorites it, it varies on the day the most like getting the juices flowing like turning you on sort of bike is is probably the the track lacrosse which is my all city Zona, the red, white, and blue paint. Got some dumb, wide riser bars on it. Um, whatever beefy wheel set. Uh, got it super cheap off Craigslist. That I think the better question is, like, what's the most enjoyment per dollar spent? I have very expensive bikes. This one I got for 500 bucks off Craigslist, right? It is by far the most return of fun that I have got for dollars spent. Right. I'm not going to ride it to College Station and then, you know, another hundred miles on a bike camping trip. But when I'm just dorking around town doing skids in like puddles or like hopping curbs and single track, like, yeah, the return on money spent is for sure my track cross bike. Yeah. Is that the one on your Instagram where you have like a big, it's like six pictures to combine to make yeah. one picture? Yes, yeah, it's the red, white, and blue. Uh, I shot that panorama at Memorial Park in Houston after like a really rainy, rainy, rainy day. 
super muddy. The bike's like dirty and it looks gross and it's the perfect setting for it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was reflecting about my own Salsa Fargo single speed. I just threw some 55 centimeter Walmart bars on there. It's completely ridiculous. Like (laughs) it, but it's so much fun to ride, man. Like if you're talking about just getting on a bike and having fun and not worrying about anything else, but having a good time, like that's the bike I'm hopping on. Can't help but smile. Right. And, and I think the most yeah. example of that that I've ever felt is riding a fat bike on a beach in Florida where it's, you just feel like a, an idiot, like ramping off a of sand dunes <laughs> and you can like, we're talking like four and a half inch tires with like three pounds in them. Right. Just like, like the most giggles me as a early thirties year old has ever admitted is riding a fat bike on a beach in Florida for sure. Like, but that, that's like why we do these things. Right. You hop on that and you're like, Oh, hell yeah. Like these silly wide bars. I'm going to cruise around. Makes you smile. Makes you happy. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the bikes or death ethos, man. It's like, it doesn't matter what bike it is, what you're doing. I mean, the point is having fun, having a good time. Uh, if you're not doing that, what the fuck are you doing? Get off of my screen. Uh, all right. Span. Wait, before we move off of bikes, I actually had two more bike huh. questions. Do it. What was the bike you rode to my house? Was that a moose? No, uh, it was titanium. Uh, that was my Bear Claw Thunderhawk. Bear Claw. Oh, that's such a good bike. Yeah. Um, which, even better, I bought it from them in Michigan. Right. I was up there vacationing, visiting family. It's, it's where my family is. It's where I grew up. And I was like not really liking my current you know, gravelly monster cross off-road bike, had heard of them, had done the research, decided this was my next, remembered like, hey, they're in Traverse City. That's like a 200-mile detour. And then back, I'm like, I'll just go buy it in person. And like that, meeting the dudes behind the company and the shop they're at and like seeing where they ride. Yeah, love that bike. Did you meet the owner? Yeah, met the owner. Uh, I test rode. I've been told I need to like interview him. Honestly, that'd probably be a good talk as far as like an inside industry point of view somebody starting a bike brand and running a bike brand and i don't even know what questions you would ask but like getting that point of view yeah well and plus his his bikes are unique like what is tell Dude, what the bar- bear yeah, claw is full tie, uh i went with the titanium fork which it looks crazy like has clearance for i think 27 and a half by like 2.6 or maybe three and you can run 29 by I think 2.3 or four, like you can put dumb, huge tires on this bike and like drop bars. I have a set of titanium drop bars from black sheep, which are like six ten wide, super wide. I have a titanium, uh, LD stem from crust, like titanium post, like full tie. It's definitely the, I can ride this around the corner playing Pokemon, or I can ride it 200 miles in a day. Fully comfortable, yeah, dino hub, cross. any kind of terrain, no matter what gravel I'm going to be into. Uh, somehow I managed yeah. to pack four days of stuff on it when I went to your place. Like that, that was the longest, I guess, away from home trip I had done at that point, right? I've done overnighters before, but that was the first one where it's, ooh, we're going to be gone for more days. How do I change the setup? Yeah, worked fine. Highly recommend Bear Claw. I, I like the, I think the Bo Jackson might be a little cooler because you can fit even more in there but uh 
the Bo Jackson, I, I, that's how I first became mm-hmm. introduced to them is through the Bo Jackson. When Miles Arbor came down, he was doing a review on it, on the Bo Jackson. And so we did the, the restaurant tour loop for bikepacking.com when he had that bike. And so I got to ride it and stuff. I'm like, this thing is just cool. Like, <laughs> I think, and actually, I think that is what inspired, uh, the the chumba oh yeah which yeah. was like making it like more of this monster cross do anything go anywhere drop bar mountain bike kind of funky looking thing yeah i think that bike was the one that kind of like put that idea in my mind yeah it's not it's more about like being ready for whatever shows up which you on the chumba for sure me depending on the wheel set i have a 27.5 wheel set that i throw on if like i'm doing quote proper mountain biking on my thunderhawk but like yeah with 48s like i'm not gonna oh no this road's too rough i have to turn around like no do whatever same on the chumba same on the bo jackson like i don't know having bikes that can do that is like i'm way more or less interested in a 14 pound carbon fiber roadie <clears throat> something like that no shade against people that do because you know bike brands need to make different stuff you're on team bike yeah you're on team bike yeah i like bigger rubber being able to ride whatever yeah there's a lot of humans in this world we get to ride whatever (laughs) bikes we want to ride and i'm with you like i want a bike i like bikes that can do anything you can hop on it it has bags you can throw shit in there and you can just get it and go like to me that's that's like the ultimate agree your tandem that you had for sale did it ever sell nope has not sold Oh my gosh. Listen, people, Unsure. go to his Instagram. That's the thing, though. If it was my size, I would own that bike. <laughs> if it was my size, I would own it. Go to his Instagram. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, though. Like, again, I don't know, inside baseball, like, Allison and I split up halfway through February, right before lockdown. Super bad timing. And then reconnected months later and then made the Ghibli project together, right? You know? Ah, fuck broken up and i gotta sell this tandem and put it up for sale and i'm like trying to get friends to buy it and all that like ah i just things in my house and now it's like (laughs) i i don't know a who knows what the fuck's gonna happen in next year or the year after in terms of gestures wildly at everything (laughs) i for sure will never find another tandem as good as this one right like it's impossible even if I went to co-motion and was like, hey, build me this, it, it wouldn't work, right? So it's like, it doesn't take up that much space. <laughs> I'm, just gonna, I'm not in a rush to sell. It's still up. All right. If the right, right person, if it fit you and I could see like a friend riding it, tight, would love that. But otherwise, like, yeah. I don't want to sell it to some rando on eBay or Craigslist. Well, you're a bike guy. Yeah, I care about. You're a bike guy. It's your bike. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 well, at least go check out the pictures yeah. because it's honestly <laughs> yeah. probably one of the best looking tandems. Like you, like I, it might be the best tandem I've ever seen. Like it's so yeah, good. It's it's a heck of a it's good. So thing. good. Yeah. All right. So we we hit the bikes. Uh, spandex instead of jorts. Mm. Somebody wanted to talk about the transition that, and I don't even know, but hopefully um, you do. So I guess we can do an overview of like why bike? Like, why did I get into bikes? How did I get into this crazy stuff, right? So I grew up in Michigan, tried college up there, did a bad job of it, dropped out, did graphic design at community college, did a good job, applied to SCAD in Georgia, got in, moved to Georgia, didn't bring my car. 
This was like um, 2008, kind of early, sort of mid zone of the fixie. Let's aerospoke, spray paint all of our stuff, do wheelies down the street, skids in parking garages phase, which like full admittance, like I wore dad glasses. I had a big ass, like curly mustache. Like this V-neck I'm wearing right now, for some reason, might be from from art school me, right? I was the full cliche art school hipster kid, fix gear, spray paint, all the nonsense, right? But I, I lived in Georgia for five years without a car, rode bike, get to the classes. Definitely got into tinkering with bikes. Oh, I like the stem on that one. Or like so-and-so got a new wheel and he's faster than me. You can go faster with better parts sometimes and learning about compatibility and threaded versus threadless and old this versus new this and like why doesn't this square taper work on the blah 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 super got into that right graduated art school moved to austin started riding my fixed gear bikes in austin oh surprise surprise austin has hills savannah georgia the flattest pancake you can imagine austin i, I my first part was on south congress had to bike down to town and then back up south congress at the end of the day it took maybe three weeks before I was like, you do need some gears. Got an old road bike. <laughs> started doing um, group road bike rides. Did the Thursday night social ride for a bit. Uh, then started doing Melajani's group rides. Again, still dad glasses, curly mustache, V-neck, cut off jean shorts, like spiked belt with the hip pouch with the U-lock in uh. it. On roadie group rides. I don't know how they let me nice. up in their shit over time, <laughs> right? Only in Austin. Dude, o- over time, hanging out after the rides, talking to them like, oh, why do, like, why do you guys wear the spandex with the padded stuff? And they're like, what's the longest ride you've done? I'm like, I don't know, like 18 miles. They're like, oh, we're doing 63 miles tomorrow. You want to come along? And I'm like, okay, sure. Go on group ride, underwear, jean shorts, all the business just wrecked, right? Very next day after that, get some spandex, go on a ride, mind blown, this is why they do the thing. And then, you know, cue the fast forward montage of, that was probably 2014. You know, I had like three bikes maybe, and now it's 2020 and there's 13 in here and I've got a full closet full of spandex kit, um, I don't know, custom titanium stuff all over the place. Like, yeah, looking back on where I was, how I got into bikes, how I guess incredibly lucky I was to meet the people I did on the group rides that I did and them not being, what the fuck is this art school kid trying to be a part of this, right? They fully could have gone like roadie elitism, like get out, get out of our paceline. What do you you have like the three pound U-lock on your belt. Where do you like get out of here? But they're like, no, tuck <laughs> in, dude. Like, this is how you do this. Be careful. Like, helped me be the sort of bike person that, that I am today. And like, I don't know, hopefully with whatever nonsense I'm putting on the internet, like, I can help that. And like, you're obviously helping that with this work and introducing people to bike packing. That seems like such an easy route into bike, right? Into bikes or death, the, the whole mindset yeah, so that's the transition. Jean shorts to spandex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One reason this is interesting to me is because I don't know, you probably saw on Instagram, I did a poll because Miles just did that article in bikepacking.com about should you wear a diaper or not? 
And I've done, you know, a lot of city riding with, you know, just, you know, jorts, um, whatever. And, but for bikepacking, I've never wanted to put away the padded shorts and the latex because longer rides. So as a matter of experiment, I bought the wool underwear that he recommended in (laughs) bikepacking.com. Dude, I like wore them for a week straight without washing and them. As you should. And I rode yeah. in them like every day and I, just to see like how they would be. And it wasn't <laughs> that bad. But again, this last weekend, whenever I did 35 miles was like the longest I've gone. So I need to like push it further. But I guess my question is, now that like you've been riding for a while, have you tried to go back to just like jorts and underwear yeah. and like, is your ass like tougher now? I mean, you like, know? the ass is definitely tougher. It's gotta be, right? There, I don't know exactly what my mileage cutoff is. You know, if it's like 42 miles or less, I'm gonna not worry about spandex or more than that, whatever. Definitely depends on the bike. On my crust scapegoat, I'm not wearing spandex, right? It's a 29 by three with Jones bars, like the most Harley Davidson <laughs> chill position. Like, I'm not wearing a kit on that bike but also i don't ride that bike more than like 25 30 miles if i was going to take that to south america though i don't know i definitely like like when i go do dumb pokemon night rides spandex i like being comfortable no shame um yeah i feel like some people probably got either very lucky or they have the experience of trying a hundred different saddles to get the one that perfectly meshes with their bits and thus, they have more tolerance for not needing to wear the the padded short, you know, the, the quote diaper. Right. Um, yeah, I had no idea that like like Lael, right, apparently doesn't wear spandex. She puts in like 20,000 20, miles a year or something like. Yeah, there's lots of them out there. I when I did my poll on Instagram, there was like 200 people that responded. It was 50-50, like right on the nose, like 50, 50 it was like four, it was like 5149 <laughs> yeah. or something like, like that. That's like margin of error. Yeah. It boils down to whatever works for you. Gesture that's to it, exactly right? what I wanted to say. If your bits get really red and angry yep. when you wear underwear and shorts, probably don't do that. Because like, A, no. taking care of them is important. Whatever kind of genitals you have, like you got to take care of that, right? if wearing spandex might make you feel a little silly, maybe look a little silly, but enables you to ride longer, finish a ride in a better mood because you're feeling better. Um, and just be more comfortable when you're out, you know, exploring, playing Pokemon go or doing routes from bike packing. Right. If it enables you to do more bike stuff, then make that choice. Right. That, that's, that's how I feel yeah, about it. Prioritize yeah. bikes for sure. I the only argument that I have, well, maybe not the only. Uh, there's a hygienic argument towards uh, not wearing, uh, you know, diapers as I keep calling. We them. can call it that. It's uh, fine. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I wear them all the time, so I mean, count me in. But uh, there, there's a hygienic is, uh, aspect of it, and then also like as I, you know, progress down this path, I like simplicity. I like just being able to hop on my bike and ride it. But again, we're talking about different kinds of riding. It's like, yeah, I'm going to hop on the bike and go for a over, you know, you know, around the town ride or whatever, or 
am I getting kitted up and I'm going on a, you know, a trip and all that kind of stuff. Do you want to get out, you know, on this epic trip that you planned? You took off work, you're away from your family, whatever, and you have to call it because you were too prideful <laughs> to wear a diaper. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, the, 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 it's personal preference. Yeah, personal preference, but also like I get that the barrier to entry for spandex is there, right? Is more expensive than the shorts that you probably already own. My favorite bibs, I, I like Rafa, sorry. They're like $275 bibs. That is for sure out of the price range of most people that are like curious about this. Do not spend 200 or even like 150 bucks on your first set of bibs. I love the black bibs. Not a sponsor of me or the podcast, I'm sure, but like in terms of like you're curious about this, try it out. Go get some of those. Or again, yeah. I've bought used bibs before. It's fine. Just wash them. Just wash, <laughs> wash them real, real good. good. <laughs> Find some for like 30 to 50 bucks. Try it out. You know, go on your normal loop. Uh, and if you're feeling better afterwards, cool. Then maybe you like spandex. Yeah. 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 I think a personal preference. It's, yeah. it's fun to play around with. I've been experimenting with it lately. When So when I saw that question, I was like, yeah, let's have some yeah. fun with yeah. this one. Okay. You ready for the next? Where do you see the bike industry heading? Uh, That's, I mean, you look like a wizard. Lordy. Yeah. No, it's gotten longer in lockdown. <laughs> you look like you could predict the um, future. There's the both like hopeful and then like the realist side of it. Like realist side first, it will go wherever makes them money. Honestly, bike companies ain't going to do shit if they're losing money. Bottom line. Just apply that to any company straight up. The corporations, they're making money, right? If they're making stuff at a loss, they probably won't do it for very long, right? Hopeful, aspirational side. Everyone's seen the articles about um, bike shops. Like the floors are empty. It's hard to find a bike under 500 bucks, right? Everyone's getting into cycling, fresh air. Let's go out and explore and, you know, not be stuck inside, Uh influenced by lockdown stuff people trying to i guess find different ways of being fit because they can't go to gyms they're bored bored. yeah fuck it like i'm sick of being around maybe your significant other or your kids or whatever like kids and your uh, your partners you're like i want to (laughs) go and easiest way to do that get a bike and noodle around i'm really hopeful that if slash when things go air quotes back to normal a lot of people keep up with that, right? It would be really, really cool if shops continue having the same sort of business that they have right now. If people keep going to the shops or if they find a shop that they like and they make a connection with that, you've got your LBS, right? Like I've got Cycle East is probably my favorite one in town. Like love the people there. I, I go there for all my shit. Hopefully people keep up with that. And then hopefully they start looking as riding a bike as something they can do instead of getting in a car for you know whatever 75% of trips are shorter than three miles. I don't know the exact stat, but it's something like that. Like if you've discovered that you can ride a bike around town for an hour, you know, super chill on whatever you got, you know, from the shop, maybe you're like, hey, I don't need to drive around the street to get my morning coffee, or I don't need to drive, you know, across town to get to the dentist like i can hop on the bike hopefully maybe that you know keeps up and then future generations are also inspired by seeing their parents be more into bikes and then so on and so forth 
continuing down the line. I try not to get super into like end of the world depressing shit, but like climate change is real, y'all. Like we're going to see it in our lifetime. Like your kids are for sure going to see it in their lifetimes. There's a lot of things that are bad. Corporations are bad, but like cars are a pretty easy one to solve if more people for the short trips just hop on a bike or go for a walk. Yeah, that's where I hope the industry's heading. Yeah. Amen. I've talked about that a few times on the podcast about this. And we talked about it today about this weird net benefit of COVID. I mean, you know, your film being this, this one of them, but also like we are seeing a huge shift in the population towards outdoor recreation, cycling, running, all these things. And I mean, nobody knows the exact numbers and nobody can quantify it. We have to assume that, you know, X percentage of them are going to stick with it, are going to find a healthier lifestyle connected with a bike shop, like you said, and, and just fell in love with cycling. You know, like the reason why, and I'm just like ad living here, Bike shops are sold out. And I mean, obviously there's supply issues, but people like riding bikes. Bikes are fun. And so when they're locked up in their house and they're sick of their family and Netflix has run out of shows that you're interested in watching and you're tired of doom scrolling the, you know, the internet, what do you do? You go to your like local bike shop and you're like, dude, I would just want to go and ride a fucking bike. That's all I want to yeah, do. Like walking's too slow. Biking, I'm pretty sure it is proven with scientific papers, is the most efficient way to move an object, like move the human body, like energy put in versus uh, the motion. Like you can go crazy distances on a bike with not a lot of yeah. you know spend in terms of calories. But like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Get out and be away from the craziness that is inside and also be away from the craziness that is other people, maybe. Explore your town on a bike. That's where I really hope the industry and honestly, like the whole world is going. You learn so much about Yeah, you zoomed out to the whole world, and I agree. I mean, the more people that ride bikes, the more people who are exploring their towns, their cities, their their outdoor spaces, you know, on a bike the more people are going to be advocating for that. And like when you ride your bike, like it, it, you go 30 miles in a city, you're seeing a lot of the city. You're going from the rich neighborhood to the poor neighborhood. You're seeing the different in- infrastructure. Bike lanes to the no bike lanes. And that might get someone who hasn't seen that point of view, maybe just to use their turn signal more. Like, whoa, crazy. Right. But also maybe to like, (laughs) next time they're voting, like look at the thing and be like, you know, if there was a bike lane on this street, then me, a person who now rides a bike, could get to my kid's school with less risk of literally dying, right? The more people we have from this point of view will allow more people uh, to support the sort of decisions that will lead to more people making more good decisions and people who are in power... uh, you know, giving them more opportunity to better world, more bikes, less less cars and pollution and, and things that are loud. I don't know. Yeah, more bikes, please. 
please. <laughs> more bikes, please. L- listen, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, but I mean, that's the point of us of us talking is to spread that word and that passion and, and that perspective and, and get people to go out and, and not just follow that Strava route and not just try to set a KOM or whatever, but to like really experience the world on a bicycle and and have fun with it. You know, like we need more people that are are just, yeah, experiencing the world in that way. It can solve so many problems. I don't want to get political, but I do want to say, you know, the world is so fucked up right yeah. now, right? And yep. like, we're yep. so divided. There's one thing we agree on is we're divided. As a country, as a society, we are divided. And I've been thinking about this a lot. And obviously my role in the community of, of bikes and one thing that I, I I've kind of like grabbed onto recently that's maybe just for my own personal hope and to not be like a pessimist is to just realize that we need to focus more on the things that bring us together than the things that like separate us. And and the cycling community has really been the best community I've ever been in, period, end of statement. It brings in a diversity of of people who are so opening and willing to just like, I mean, everybody from like the roadies, like you talked about with your, uh, with your bib experience, you know, like this is a very welcoming community and there's so diverse. It could be more diverse. I mean, we're, you know, this is a community we're working on for sure, but we as a community are actively working on it. You see the people, you see the steps taking place, you see things happening. So, I don't know where I was going with that, but other than to say, I, I, I actually, I do know where I was going with that. I, I, I wanted to just say that I love this community and I want to use it as a way to focus on something to bring us together, to focus on something that's positive, that can, you know, not be an environmental impact that can, you know, give you social structure, a community to belong to that will be, uh, healthy for your mind and your body and is practical and allows you to get from point A to point B. Like, you know, bikes are death, baby. Bikes is sustainable in a way that almost nothing else is, right? It can solve so many problems and opens up so many opportunities that, I don't know, it's a very unique activity, sport, art form, whatever you want to you know, categorize it as it can be all those things, right? Can be all those things. Well, uh, come ye all welcome (laughs) to team bike. Hey man, it is, uh, it's good to have you on the team. I love the diversity that we get and you're certainly part of it. And, uh, your film was just so inspiring. I'm like, I'm just glad we got to talk. Like you said, like it, it feels good to, to just like reach out and talk because it's so weird to meet somebody in person in the flesh and like hug them or give them a high five. And then it's like, Oh fuck, I can't, I can't give Eric a hug right now. I can't, you know, do that. But next time I see you, man, I'm going to give you a hug. There's not a lot of things that like I save and revisit in terms of like photos or videos or like memorabilia, but the video that you shot of me first riding up to your house (laughs) When I got to 
got to your place on that first ride, it's you filming me and it's me rolling up and I, was, I said something about like, I need to look up your address, but no, nope, it's the house with the van and the 1990 whatever Toyota something something and like, you're like, stop dude, it's good to see, but it was what's like such a genuine moment. Like, I, I probably watched that video like once or twice a month just because I'm like, Patrick, yes, someday. <laughs> Right so on, good. brother. I feel the same way, man. It's been hard to like, I mean, I'm kind of using you as like almost like an example of like a, a s thousands of other people, you know, who are hundreds of thousands or whatever. Like, it's just, it, it's, it's been tough, but I'm trying to tie a happy bow <laughs> on it. God damn it. I just want to tie a happy bow yeah, on I mean, it. The, the happy bow is like, <laughs> again, video inspired people, but you don't have to make some, you know, fancy after effects project that like i have like an art school education and eight years of video editing experience that enable me to make that but like fuck it you can make a route in your town or just go take a picture of your bike against some cool wall that you found i don't know or try try some new tires you know you find some tires online try them out on your bike write a review about it let your friends know your friends see the review they get inspired just more of this type of stuff it, the hardest thing about all this is like, I don't know where my inspiration is going to come from tomorrow, right? That's the hardest part about being a, again, air quote, creative person. I don't know what's going to trigger some idea in my head for some thing that I'll make for some other video or photo project, right? That's the hardest part about it. But you have to be open to that arriving, whether it's movies you watch or podcasts that you listen to or friends you have. You know, it, surround yourself with things that are inspiring, no matter what it is, and, and hopefully that will compound on you then inspiring others. I think that's a pretty good bow. The only thing I would add to that is uh, is is people that inspire and push you. You know, like you need to be around people who are like are are doing things differently or better or whatever. I mean, whatever you gravitate towards, but you got to put yourself among people who are willing to push you to be a, a better version of yourself. Perfect way to say it. Yeah. Let's move forward. Right on, homie. Well, I've said it already, but I mean, that's that's what I love about the community is the uniqueness of the people that comprise of it and make it a whole and certainly appreciate your take on it. I mean, you add to the cycling community, no doubt about it. So I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming on the Bikes Are Death podcast. Thanks for having me uh, next time, whenever we can do this in person, because I hope you didn't forget, I still got to do that tattoo. I was actually about to mention that. I was going to say the next time we do this. So here's the deal. Like we had planned to do a podcast and Eric was like, when we do it, I'm going to do a stick and poke tattoo on myself. So of you still owe me. You writing bikes or death on my body and then I tattoo it. Cause like obviously That's right. I'm down with bikes or death for life and having you write it, you know, somewhere probably on my legs cause I can reach it easier. But like, yeah, I was going to do that during the show. I thought about like, Hey, you write it on a piece of paper and send it and I'll do, but like, no, doesn't count. You have to write nah. it. it, has to be in person yeah. for it to count. Yeah. 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 I thought about it too. This isn't the time. We'll do it in person sometime, but that's for sure going to happen. Eric is going to be the first person that stick and pokes a tattoo on himself of the bikes or death during a show. That's happening. All right, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, bud. Stay well. Um, 
good to talk to you and uh hopefully we get to see each other in person and i'm gonna give you a hug yeah ride ride your damn bikes y'all all right peace out homie all right all right i hope y'all enjoyed that out there in podcast land i'm so happy to be doing this thank you for being here uh this is a lot of fun and speaking of fun next week's episode is with aaron chamberlain who just circumnavigated the border of Texas via bicycle. I think it took him six weeks, something like that. I don't remember. 58 days? It took him some days and some time, but he did it. And uh, there's some dispute as to whether or not he was the first. So we talk about that. Um, But yeah, met up with him in Austin just a couple days after he got done with that ride. And uh, that episode is coming next week. And uh, I didn't say it in the beginning. I keep forgetting the last few episodes. But if you could please, please, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. It is big time Mui Importanto. It helps a ton in getting the show noticed and getting it out there so other people can be exposed to this hot fire content that we're putting out at least trying to. So yeah, it just, it means the moon and back. So if you could uh, just take a moment, head over to iTunes, Bobby boop, hit the five star. You can say why it's great or not. Some people leave some beautiful messages on there. Actually, I wish I knew who left the reviews so I could like say thank you. But that's like the one thing where like I get messages and very nice and I have no way of, of saying who it is and like reaching out to them. But I do read them and y'all are lovely as always. Thank you. All right. Well, this was a very long episode. Sometimes I get windy. Sometimes I get talky, but you know, I just kind of go with however I'm feeling. Sometimes I'm more talkative than others. And sometimes, you know, it just is what it is. So thanks for being here. Uh, It's a beautiful day outside. So I'm going to go ride my damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Bikes.